Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is June 19th, Juneteenth, 2020, and it's Friday. And I don't know if you guys notice, but, you know, sometimes when you travel a little bit in time, you lose time. So yesterday when I started my show, for some reason, I thought it was still Wednesday, and I knew it was Thursday, but I thought it was Friday. So instead of repeating yesterday's show, which was done with Friday's knowledge, (laughs) We will focus on what is going on and what we are seeing and what we are um, anticipating. And we're going to throw around a a few facts. So it's Friday and this weekend is going to be pretty heated. Tulsa, Oklahoma had already started their little um, fiascos and shenanigans by trying to, you know, declare a last minute curfew where the rally that President Trump is going to be holding was because, of course, we want it to look like nobody cares. We can't show thousands upon thousands of people camping out just to see their president, right? So this um, this late morning, I've been busy tweeting out some real facts of exactly what Juneteenth stands for. And, you know, I never really appreciated um, Juneteenth as much as I did when um, revisiting the story of Rehoshida, um, who was what they say is the last slave uh, that came on a slave ship. So I know that under the period of uh, Crow, Jim Crow, it was actually quite a difficult time for um, every single American, no matter what color they were, because it was a very toiling time, I think for your soul, very eroding uh, the treatment that was provided to people that they see as uh, lesser class citizens, right? Lesser class human beings, or as they would refer to them, animals. Because, uh, uh, you know, th- with all this time that we have in our hands being locked in, it would be a shame for no one to go online to the Library of Congress and pull up newspapers from the 1800s, specifically 1859, 1860, 1861, 63, 65. Take a look at how they would refer to human beings and how they referred to the Republican Party, which was called black, they were called black Republicans. You know, in, in, throughout the history of time, uh, human beings have evolved uh, from uh, where they were, I don't know, I guess, if you want to say cavemen, right? We were genetically upgraded uh, just a couple hundred years ago anyway, but let's, let's pretend that the history that they tell us is correct. Think of the evolution. You know, back in the day, it was okay to smack your wife around. Back in the day, it was okay to have... Um, you know, brothels, like openly. It was okay to have concubines. <laughs> it was okay to have friends, right? It was okay to hang a man in the square because he stole something or killed someone. It was okay to puncture a man's abdomen and then use like this um, rotisserie device and pull out their intestines. Very graphic, right? But they used to do that in the public square. And people used to come with popcorn, well, not popcorn, but whatever, snacks, cheering on that he was killed. 
right? So uh, executions never came from lynching, okay? <laughs> they came as a form of punishment. Because, you know, the ACLU tried to say that, you know, um, executions were done, they came out of lynching, which is all rubbish. I mean, come on, who believes that? Now, slaves, um, you know, that's a really weird term. See, throughout history, I can tell you that slaves were paid with room and board, kind of like what kibbutzes are uh, in Israel. I've been to a kibbutz. Uh, basically, you live there free. Uh, you don't have to pay for anything. You eat for free, but you pick oranges or figs, whatever farm you're on. Having done a short stint there, you know, it's kind of convenient for someone when they want to write a book or don't know where they're going or maybe they're on a mission, but whatever it is, it's a good stop off point to allow someone to just do a task and just exist sometimes, you know, take that peace moment. Uh, I've done it at a nunnery too. It's just that time you take to yourself where you just don't have to think and don't have to worry about surviving, eating or sleeping, but just enjoying the moment. And, you know, if you break it down, what I did in the kibbutz is what we consider slavery. Uh, but I went willing. Well, <laughs> Simon's. But, you know, the bottom line is, is people do do that willingly because it's uh, simple. Uh, no brainer. Right. So what are slaves? Right. We have to examine what slavery really means. It means that you treat someone as a lesser human. Um, you treat them as if they're not worth anything and you demean them, right? That's it. That is the, 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 the terms associated with it because it is correct. Because think of all, you know, the women cleaning, you know, Raven Simone's toilets who complained, you know, what happens, you know, when all the Mexicans are gone, who's going to clean my toilet? Think of all uh, the people that have, you know, their non-documented nannies, housekeepers, groundskeepers. Think of all of them in Florida, California, Chicago, you know, or all those, uh, you know, Chinese illegal migrants that they hold on to their passports and don't let them out of their sight so they can serve them day, to, you know, from morning to night. Or servants in India, you know, in the houses, right? All, all those people that are held against their will. Because what people don't seem to realize is that the Democrats are the party of slavery and still are. And how this is demonstrated is by, their, by the way that they're negotiating and holding hostage illegal migrants. Now, we're not talking about all the criminals, we're talking about the very small percentage, that one, two percent of people that broke the law and entered this country looking for a better place to live. Now, think about it, guys. Are the Democrats not holding them hostage by saying, well, you have to stay with me and I promise I will give you citizenship. Eight years, they didn't give them citizenship. Now they're using it as a bargaining chip again for elections like they did in 2018. So in essence, uh, the actual slaves in this mix um, are the undocumented migrants. And no one is talking about that. I mean, you have to see it in the perspective. They have their life in their hands and they have been toying with them for all these years under Barack Hussein Obama, who made this unconstitutional, unsubstantiated DACA, whatever you want to call it. It's an atrocity. It's, it shows just how little value they give to those human lives. Because 
you know, do they not have lives? There's people that escape. Venezuela, Peru, Argentina, Colombia, Ecuador, right? All of them, they ran. You know, other people that had gotten mixed up with cartels. Maybe someone that escaped West Africa or Nigeria from being slaughtered because they're Christian. You know, they, they, there are some migrants that came because they actually feared for their life. Regardless, they broke the law, period. Uh, but, you know, Sometimes, what is the saying? Sometimes you do what you have to do, right? I, you know, that, that actually, uh, gives a tone of, um, of applauding lawlessness. Um, but it's not supposed to. I, I just want to clear that. Uh, they did break the law, but the bottom line is they are now being treated as pawns and are the, the modern slaves of the Democrats. The Democrats have always been a party of using people. Look at how they're using, uh, you know, the black Americans that we have that unfortunately, uh, have, uh, been raised to think that they are impoverished because there's, uh, you know, systemic racism. Yes, there is racism. Totally not systemic. Um, yes, they're more disadvantaged because, you know, maybe their parents or the foster care. I mean, we just saw that Germany was literally putting children into pedophiles' hands. And for some reason, I thought Breitbart was talking about RCPS. That should be coming soon, too. But this, this, this celebration is a victory for the Republican Party. That's something the Democrats don't want you talking about. They don't want you talking about how the Republicans were the ones that did this. The Democratic Party is the party of slavery, period. There was never a switch. And that is something we should use this date to educate people with. That there were so many uh, black, uh, you know, elected officials that were all Republican. And how the first seven, right, that were elected were actually challenged. Do you know, in Florida, uh, Josiah Walls, actually, he was, he was born a slave, was forced to fight for the Confederate. And then he was captured by the union army. And then, um, after he was captured, he enlisted in the union army and became an officer. After that, he became a state congressman in Florida. And guess what? The Republic, the Republican party loved him. The people loved him, but the Democrats didn't. They challenged him twice and eliminated him. Another one. Um, uh, what was his name? I'm trying to remember again. Um, um, uh, Jefferson long from Georgia. Uh, he, uh, was born a slave, built the business, ran, uh, for Congress within a state, um, uh, you know, as a congressman for the state of Georgia, uh, he made money. He was on, he was an entrepreneur. He was great, you know, and lo and behold, the Democrats were so upset that the state of Georgia was being represented by a black man that they boycotted his business and caused him extreme financial harm. And this is the same tool book. Can you see it? That they're using today. They use the same ways. I mean, in Florida, the minute they got back the house, they eliminated Josiah Walls twice, twice. So in, in reality, we lack the ability to remember and embrace history. Uh, therefore, others can run and do as they please and say as they please. Now, Juneteenth, while it is a conservative and Republican victory, 
I don't see the GOP reminding the world that, that this is a GOP victory, that we did it. So why is the GOP not saying it? We are in charge of doing that. So I'm going to be retweeting that all day. So if you're on Twitter, I've tweeted out, let's not forget Juneteenth is a GOP victory. History is history. No matter how many statues you tear down, the Democrats were and are the party of slavery. And this is a fact, bonafide fact, uh, no, you know, diddling about or anything, bonafide fact. And it's something that nobody wants to hear, of course, right? Uh, so let me, let me tell you who the seven first, um, senators and Republican, uh, Republican senators and congressmen that were black were before the 1900s. So we had Senator, um, Revels from Mississippi. We had Benjamin Turner from Alabama. Um, we had, um, um, DeLarge from South Carolina. Um, and he, he was, he was pretty awesome, actually. He did a lot. So I told you about, um, uh, Long, and I told you about Walls. Uh, the other guy is Rainey. He was from South Carolina. Remember, all these people are Republicans, okay? And um, then we have... Um who, who's that other guy from what state is he? Uh, South Carolina again. Yes. So Robert Elliott, right? So all of these people, because oh, people only remember just a few names, but they were all elected between 1870 and 1871. Black men. Now, if you compare that to the Democrat Party, it's very few. And, you know, they're not the ones that are for the people. We have to remember that. I mean, it's just so... Um, so heartbreaking that history is not remembered correctly. But, you know, that's the thing. Those that have money and power are the ones that can write the future and um, rewrite history. Um, not only money, but you have to have power of travel, too. Uh, so today we're supposed to have celebrations today. We're supposed to be reminding everyone that this is a Republican holiday. We have to keep reminding that uh, to people that this is a Republican holiday. This is a Republican victory. We did this conservatives, people that actually believed in the constitution of the United States. Now, this weekend, there are marathons being held of burn America burn, you know, by old money sipping on their wine while all the peasants sit there and destroy the nation. Are we going to let it happen? Is it going to happen? I hope not. I really hope that everything that has been planned will sit at bay and that there won't be any such things that there won't be. Now, I want you guys to take a listen to Brad Parscale, um, who spoke about uh, the, Tulsa declaring a civil emergency right ahead of, of the rally. How interesting, isn't it? We're going to bring in Brad Parscale now, the campaign manager for Trump Pence 2020. Brad, good morning to you. What's your reaction to, you heard our reporter Mark Meredith there about the mayor issuing this curfew, uh, the civil emergency. What are your thoughts? Well, look, we've worked with the governor and the mayor. They've been great. Uh, they've been very helpful. And look, they're, they're worried about the safety um, of everyone there, uh, whether it's their citizens or those coming from out of town. And uh, I congratulate him for trying to keep our people safe. Sure. Um, what the mayor's directive says, I have re I've received information from the Tulsa Police Department and other law enforcement agencies 
that shows that individuals from organized groups who have been involved in destructive or violent behavior in other states are planning to travel to the city of Tulsa for purposes of causing unrest in and around the rally. Brad, it sounds like you're going to have some uh, company. Are you worried about uh, a confrontation where you've got people who are completely behind the president and then people who would like to stir things up? You know, I've been here since day one, and I've found all Trump supporters to be really, you know, caring, loving people that, that care about this country. I think you see people coming in, they're trying to disrupt, they're trying to create scenes, they want to make internet moments, they want to do the things we see. I think you saw it in the president's Twitter account yesterday, the tweets he put out. They want that moment where CNN or some other fake news media can try to make it look like a Trump supporter is not a loving and caring person. And I have a great feeling that we're going to see 100,000 uh, MAGA supporters down there just wanting to see the, this country reopen. Okay, so Brad, let's talk about some of the polls. The Fox News polls show that Joe Biden is widening his lead over President Trump. Um, I'll read just some of what some of the people that were polled were saying. The biggest motivation to vote for the president, 63% of Biden's supporters said that they fear they're going to vote because they fear that Trump will win. 33% of Trump supporters said they fear Biden will win. Enthusiasm for the candidate. Biden supporters, 31 percent enthusiastic. Trump supporters, 62 percent enthusiastic. And then lastly, if they were voting today, they say 50 percent said Biden, 38 percent said Trump. Last month, 48 percent said Biden and 40 percent said Trump. What's your reaction? Well, first of all, uh, being in the 2016 campaign, I mean, over I mean, it was close to 150. I don't have the exact number. Public polls came out in the last six weeks. I think less than a handful of them showed the president winning. Most states like Michigan, Wisconsin, there was never one public poll that ever said we were winning. And guess what? The president won them. I've always said, and I said this in 2016, the public polling system's broken. We're underpulled. Uh, there's a, a large percentage of Trump supporters that fear, uh, you know, revival of someone saying to them, uh, you know, why would you be voting for Trump? Um, and then you look at the enthusiasm gap. The president is going to turn out more voters. People aren't excited for Joe Biden. He's hiding in his basement. He doesn't want to come out. And uh, his handlers can't even let him speak. And I think that's going to continue to show um, that the president has the right you know, direction for this country, and, and he's going to win four more years. And our internal numbers continue to show the direction towards victory. You know, Brad, it's been 77 days since uh, Vice President Biden held a press conference. Reporters like myself pay attention to these things. I, I want to take it, though, to the president's tweet, because you mentioned 2016. The president, then candidate Trump, released a list of his Supreme Court picks, and it was a very successful tactic. Now we have him tweeting that he will release by September 1st a new list of conservative Supreme Court justice nominees. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I think, look, I think this is one of the most important things that people across America needs to know. Most likely the president get one or two more Supreme Court picks in another term. I think this is very crucial for the future of this country. It could support, you know, having a conservative court for another generation. I think this is extremely important. Americans need to know, you know, for whatever policy and whatever thing they think, one of the most important things the president can do is nominate people to the Supreme Court. And this president's already done two great picks. And I, I hope you get two great picks in his second term as well. And I think it's it's one of the most important issues and it's probably one of the most important of our of our lifetime. Uh, I'm sure you were watching a couple of days ago, uh, Brad, when Joe Biden came out of his basement and went and uh, lambasted uh, the president of the United States for the covid response. Uh, you know, that was not a press conference because reporters were not able to ask anything. 
Mr. Biden hasn't really presented himself uh, to the uh, the press per se. And now I understand that your campaign has uh, asked Rudy Giuliani to come on board and try to get the commission that handles the presidential debates to get more debates. Obviously, you want to present the contrast between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. How would you describe that contrast? Well, first of all, Steve, um, I consider our our people around the president's staff, I consider his people handlers. So they bring him up um, on stage. They tell him what to say and and hope to God nobody from press will ask him any questions um, so we can actually see what's happening there. Um, But I'll talk about the debates. What we see is um, them wanting to have debates after voting's already started. We're going to see probably some record mail-in voting, absentee voting this year because of COVID. I would like to see debates earlier. I'd like to see more of them. I'd like the American people to see the president versus Biden without the media filter. And what better way than see him on stage, you know, uh, going mano a mano. And I think that's what America should see. And it should see that this president is as sharp as attack and ready for four more years. And that Biden is, uh, mm-hmm. after three multiple failed presidents, you know, and, and uh, you know, runs. He's just not he's just not all there anymore. And I you know, I feel sorry for him. And I and I hope uh, Jill takes care of him and, and we can see him uh, live the rest of his life in, in peace. So, Brad, there's censorship uh, on the campaign trail among these social media outlets. Twitter is labeling uh, one of President Trump's tweets manipulated media. Facebook says it's going to censor Trump's 2020 ads for organized hate. You worried about this? This is actually something I actually have worried about over the years. I think, Ansley, you know that I've, I've, I've been on your show. I've been all over talking about this. I worry about the Palo Alto Mafia, as I call them. Um, what they feel like is they have a, a moral obligation because uh, American voters are not smart enough to see how smart they are. They want to use the controls within their tools, the manipulation they can do and try to filter, change, modify, do anything they can. I mean, there's been there's been hearings about how Google manipulates results to try to make to get you to think the way they want. Twitter censoring videos and content, Facebook manipulating algorithms. These things continue to be a problem. And last night I tweeted uh, there's a new uh, rising platform called Parler. It's about free speech. Um, it's, it's about having the opportunity to actually have a real discussion, uh, liberals versus conservatives. Let's have an open discussion without a bunch of people that think they're smarter than us uh, in Northern California telling us how we should speak to each other. And I completely support it. Um, and I continue to hope that we, we make a transition mm-hmm. away from these people. Um, and I think Twitter is one of the worst of all of them. Um, and unfortunately, it's a necessary evil sometimes for elections right now. And I hope over the next uh, few years and hopefully even by the end of this election, we see a move away from it because right. I just I think the Palo Alto Mafia is one of the worst things out there. Well, let me pick up there, Brad. How big is this feud between Silicon Valley and President Trump? And what does that look like if you guys lose in November? Well, first of all, we're not going to lose in November. That's just not going to happen. We're going to win. Uh, the president uh, is is we haven't even seen him even get started yet uh, on Joe Biden. So as we still got a long ways to go. Um, but look, I think the feud is real. Um, um, I think certain people um, like Zuckerberg at Facebook has stayed strong and understand the importance of free speech uh, for the most part. He's had to you know, placate certain portions of the staff. But if you look at other companies like Google and Twitter, um, they have had just completely um, kind of, you know, 
for their staff just say, okay, we'll do this, we'll do this, do this, because they threaten walkouts, they threaten this, they do this. And mm-hmm. they're saying, if we are not this liberal controlling system, we won't work here any longer. And I think they have a hard time uh, dealing with free speech when, when they have such um, left-wing um, uh, radicals working in, inside their company. Brad, exit question. Uh, tomorrow at the big rally, I'm sure you'll be in attendance. You're going to wear a mask? Yes. Yes, I will probably be wearing a mask. Um, I will also say this is a much different rally that hasn't really been reported. One of the big things is it's going to have an outer perimeter fence. Um, That's going to allow a much larger amount of people to come. People on the Internet like, the arena is only 20,000. Well, that's not the entire thing. This is more of a festival, like much more looking almost um, like a convention. Tens of thousands of people will be able right. to be in attendance, and we're going to have multiple places where the president can speak. Can't wait. Well, I saw a promo. I think we're going to cover it live tomorrow night. Brad, thank you very much <laughs> for joining us live. Thanks, thank Dad. you for having me. And you know what I loved about that interview, Let It Play on Full, was one, he calls it the Palo Alto Mafia, but he should have taken it a step further personally. Uh, constantly reinforces facts, which is, the truth be said, is that... Um, Joe Biden has handlers, period. Joe Biden has handlers. So, um, you know, we need to understand that right now the Democrat Party, the party of slaves, is now uh, pushing their new narrative that they want to pander to the black American community by saying that they're going to pick a woman of color to run with Biden. Talk about pandering, talk about appropriation, whatever happened to the best man or woman to win, handing it to you just because of your skin color and your sex is just racist, uh, if you ask me, and sounds totally unfair when there could be qualified anybody in between that they are refusing to look at. But they're putting Dementia Joe first. See you in a bit. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I thought that I would start this half hour with a trip back in time to listen to our president and see, has anything changed from then until now? ...does not have to face is that his city might go bankrupt since central government underwrites London's borrowing. That's not the case in American cities. New York, the most vibrant, exciting city in America, the Big Apple, one hell of a town. Every cliche you've ever heard about the place is true. Manhattan is alive, proud of itself, and winning. Everywhere there is the thump of pneumatic drills, the whine of a dumper truck, the coppery smell of quick money. It's hard to believe that seven years ago this city faced bankruptcy, with debts approaching a staggering $2,000 million. Then there were just two major construction sites in New York. Today, there are 329. The near-fatal hemorrhage of jobs and people from the city has been slowed, stopped, and reversed in just seven years. So how has the magic worked? A surprisingly modest city hall cowers at the feet of Wall Street skyscrapers. When the city looked like defaulting, the shadow of Wall Street became all too substantial. The bankers moved in like a firm of liquidators. Their chosen instrument, Felix Roerton, had a suitably low opinion of politicians. Politicians with money are like kids with marijuana. 
and you have to tell them, you know, this is all you've got. This convention center will bring jobs and money into the rundown Docklands area of the west side. It will be as long as the Empire State Building is tall. AT&T have just built a new head office with a thousand jobs in Midtown Manhattan, and IBM have arrived with another 2,000. The Trump Tower, when it's completed, will be $400 million worth of high-priced apartments, commercial space, and boutiques. What's happened is phenomenal. I've never seen anything to the extent that I have in New York. It now, from a real estate standpoint, has probably become the hottest city in the world. People are flocking here by droves. And I guess a lot of things had to do with it. Mostly, I feel, it was the psychology of making New York a winner as opposed to a loser. It's a nice line, but straight public relations. The tax holiday that the Trump Organization was given to build this hotel in 42nd Street is worth $45 million. But Donald Trump wouldn't dream of blushing. Probably it's the greatest thing that the city ever did, and I think the city is the first to acknowledge it. They went overboard, they gave a tremendous break for the first time, actually in the history of New York, we got this commercial tax abatement. We took a building that had one person working, we now employ 2,000 people, and we employed during peak construction periods over 4,000 people. So the city is the big winner. I, I, I might add one other thing. I would have never built the development if I didn't get the tax abatement. New York has sucked jobs back into the city, and new jobs mean new taxpayers, new ratepayers. The tax base of New York has increased by $3,000 million in seven years, and the turning tide has washed back quite a few of the frightened middle-class New Yorkers who left when times were bad. Do you find New York a saner, less violent, less frightening place than when you left it? I think, I think so, especially in certain neighborhoods, certain pockets. I think people have been drawn together uh, for many reasons over the years, uh, politically, and realized that they need to work together uh, on a much more broad scale than before. So the threat of bankruptcy might have had some quite good social effects? Uh, possibly. That kind of thing always dr brings New Yorkers together. Uh, blackouts, threat of bankruptcy, any kind of thing like that tends to bring the community together. And the community is increasingly middle class. It has to be. A tax-subsidized development by Trump has turned a rundown area like 42nd Street into a desirable address. Soho used to be a low-rent garment district. Today, property prices and rents are sky high. Shops and restaurants are mushrooming, and the working class have moved out. It's all very reminiscent of Islington in the late 60s. When the bankers told New York there was no such thing as a free lunch, they removed the power of the vote from the people who might object. Which may be why the South Bronx makes a deprived area like Newham look like paradise. Dispossessed by a boom that was engineered largely at their expense, it was blue-collar jobs that were axed and welfare payments that were cut to pay for Donald Trump's tax breaks. The poor of this area grew so desperate a few years ago that they started to burn down their homes. Manhattan may be thriving, but crime has rocketed by 25% in two years, and parts of the city are in agony. Felix Rowerton would argue that without a rich man's table, there are no crumbs for the poor. I think in a democratic society, it is very difficult to legislate sacrifice. I think when you have growth, you can legislate growth, you can allocate it among the various constituencies, and as long as there's a rough element of justice to it and everybody gets his little piece of it in one way or another, you have a minimum of dislocations. I think when it comes to functioning under, under a limited amount of resources or a shrinking amount of resources where you really have to allocate sacrifice, it's very difficult to do that um, under the existing political structures. And therefore, structures like MAC or the Financial Control Board, which are, as you say, somewhat autocratic, 
at least afford both the politicians, the labor leaders, all those elected officials who have to justify themselves to their constituents an excuse for doing things which they know they ought to do, but which they really don't have the, the, the either the power or the survivability to do by themselves. Mayor Ed Koch is one of the most popular New York politicians since the war, and in American terms, he's left wing. But he knows that real power lies in Wall Street, which is why he's at a banker's lunch today. Even so, he believes the threat of bankruptcy was essential to the recovery of the city. Oh, I doubt uh, that the uh, city uh, would have been turned around uh, had we not suddenly confronted that we were spending money that we didn't have and then required to take the actions which were taken even before I became uh, the mayor in the uh, years uh, 75 uh, through uh, 78. Uh, it would have been very difficult, if not impossible, to do hadn't uh, the situation arisen where people suddenly were confronted with the fact that uh, if we didn't take those actions the city couldn't survive. Uh, the imminence of bankruptcy in 75 and we'll never go bankrupt and we are fiscally one of the strongest cities in the country uh, today, but the imminence of bankruptcy in 75 definitely made it possible for the then political leaders and I as the inheritor of that situation to do more than would otherwise have been possible. If London was cut free from the apron strings and the control of central government and was left to raise its money on the open market by the issue of bonds, loans, etc., do you think it would have a greater chance of solving its problems because economic reality would be forced on it? Well, I don't know if you would solve your problems. You would certainly have to face the reality of, uh, of your situation, and I don't think you can begin to solve your problems until you, until you really look at reality. And the reality of your situation would compel you to make some choices as to who pays for what. I mean, to take our transit system, we always have the, the, uh, the, uh, the varying choices of keeping fares low, but at whose expense? Do we tax the automobile person? Do we tax the property owner? And what is the proper relationship between the user and the taxpayer in general? Uh, I think certainly you would... You would uh, you would certainly have some interesting discussions when you got all the parties to the play into one room, which is always the beginning to solving a problem, and, uh, and had to face the determination as to uh, whether you saw tomorrow rise or whether you went bankrupt. So the reason I bring this up is because New York City is now facing bankruptcy. They are actually facing bankruptcy. And this is why Cuomo is desperate. Uh, so back in the day, what they did was they gave um, no taxes for developers to build businesses, something that President Trump wanted to do, too. Now, what they mentioned was that the city took it away from more, the more impoverished areas and cut food stamps, et cetera, et cetera, because at that time there weren't any jo there weren't any jobs. Right. So now New York is at a point where they have the ability to give jobs, can get people off of food stamps, but won't. And they're in that predicament where they have already issued bonds um, and, uh, you know, put their property up and they're done. They're really, really done. Now, again, I'm going to say this once more. The reason I bring this up is because this will be a topic of conversation. I saw that a lot of journalists came out to praise Governor Cuomo, and hopefully Governor Cuomo and Mayor de Blasio will be shown for exactly what they are, and that's bad money managers that cannot keep a nation afloat. Now, um, 
I wanted to uh, go back a bit to um, the discussion about big tech and censorship, uh, because this is coming, you know, straight uh, into focus now. So yesterday, the president tweeted out two videos. One was a meme by Carpe, which was so cute, and it totally showed the bias of the media and how they take things. And you know what? That was the crying baby that Time Magazine put on there. Crying baby was upset because they entered the country legally, and the baby didn't want to be put down. How many times? Times have I put down my kids when they were younger and they would scream like that? No, hold me, I'm tired. So what they did was they photoshopped it, so that was manipulated media, onto the cover as if the baby was being tortured, as if, you know, oh my God, and I'm crying right in front of President Trump. So he uh, played that video and then the other amazing uh, video that puts into perspective how certain stories are being told by the media and blown out of proportion by Paul Martinez. I was so excited to see it go around again. Anyway, so those two videos were played. One thing I noticed, and I'm glad, you know, I'm glad that people saw my tweet under President Trump's tweet, but I saw that there was a message saying that it's manipulated media. We all knew that it was totally fake. It was a meme, but it was trying to make a point. And the fact that they had to, Twitter had to come in as Captain Obvious to say, well, this is manipulated media. Well, why don't you say it was manipulated media when they were showing explosions? happening, but they were actually from Kentucky shooting off cannons. Why don't you say it's manipulated media when they used fake pictures? Why don't you say that? No, 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 because we can't have that. We need to show uh, that, uh, you know, President Trump is wrong. Again, look, The bottom line is they will stop at nothing. They have no grounds and morals, right? They just want to keep us chained with invisible chains, chained. And President Trump has stopped that. And uh, listen, listen to how Jim Jordan responds, responded to this this morning. Hold on. Let's get this. Slapping labels on President Trump and other Republicans posts. Jim Jordan is with us, Republican congressman from Ohio. Jim, I know that you were shadow banned at one stage, and we know that conservative opinion is being censored here, but I want to know, what can you do about it? Well, there's got to be consequences, Stuart. I mean, look, you're you're, you're directly attacking free speech. And, And here's the thing that gets me. Why is it always just conservatives? I mean, what, what, where's the liberals? It's always just on the right. As you mentioned, two years ago, four members of Congress were shadow banned. Gates, Meadows, Nunes, Jordan. Two weeks ago, two weeks ago, the president, Twitter puts on these labels on the president, censors the president. And then two days ago, Google tries to demonetize and cancel the Federalist. So you're going to continue to do this? There has to be consequence because this is a direct like attack what? on the First Amendment. Look, well, we're looking at the... We're looking at all kinds of it, whether it's the 230 issue, whatever it is. There's got to be liability. There's got to be consequences for these platforms who are who are systematically, it now appears, to be going after conservatives and only conservatives. Just last night, they went after the, the president on a, on a video he yep. put out that was obviously, everyone knows that, has seen that video. Everyone knows what he was doing. And yet, oh, this has got to be labeled and it's got to be changed. So th- this is scary where we're headed. And it's important that Congress step up and, and figure out what the right remedy is and then execute that remedy. Right, what do you make about the rally tomorrow in Tulsa, Oklahoma? I know they're lining up already 
Uh, yeah. you, are you smiling or shaking your head? I'm not sure no, where you're going on this. <laughs> no, it's I'm going to be there. It's it's wow. great to see that this, uh, you know, the American people connect with this president because they know this president's doing what he said he would do, having results, getting results, and is fighting for them. And what a contrast. Where we got a million people who want to come to Tulsa, Oklahoma for the first big rally now uh, post-coronavirus. First big, million people signing up for this who want to come. And Joe Biden, who's still staying in the basement. So that is the contrast right there. This president who wants to go out and talk to the American people, the very people he's been fighting for versus Joe Biden, who I guess even Terry McAuliffe said today that they're better off keeping Joe Biden in the basement. So that's the contrast that's shaping up for this fall. And I think I think the American people who are who are so fed up with everything they're seeing in this politically corrupt uh, cancel culture. I mean, Stuart, you can't even take your boys fishing and wear the wrong T-shirt and you get in trouble, right? Yeah, I mean, th- th- this, so, is, this is crazy but, where it's so headed. What about, so what, what about the polls? What do you make of these polls? Every single reputable poll that I've seen puts Joe Biden ahead of Donald Trump and the latest Fox poll puts Biden 12 points ahead of the president. I mean, y- you can't just dismiss this. No, but I, I will say this in, in 2016 that every reputable poll had Hillary Clinton ahead and she was what 99 to one, uh, you know, favored the the day of the election. And boy, once the real poll happened on Election Day, suddenly those numbers change. And we all know that obviously President Trump won. So I think the same dynamics in play. Look, here's what I see across the Midwest. Uh, I see I see uh, last weekend was Flag Day, American flags everywhere. And guess what was right beside him? Trump 2020 flags. That's what I see because so many people, they may, they may not tell a pollster what they're thinking, but so many people are voting with putting the flag out and they will be voting the right way on election day. They are sick of what the left is up to in this country. They are sick of this whole idea, this whole concept, this insane public policy proposal from the Democrats, which says defund the police, dismantle police departments. I mean, they are sick of all this and they want someone who's fighting for their values, fighting for the things he told them he was going to do. And that's President Trump. And it is President Trump. It is. And he's being fought from every single side there is. Whoever can fight him, they want it done. Now I'm going to tell you a little tidbit that not a lot of people know. Now, as I've mentioned many, many, many times, the United States of Europe, okay, was um, something that was a push, from the Brookings Institute. I'm pointing this out to you guys, just so you know. Now, I happen to be in a place called Malta in uh, 2007. And I can tell you that Malta, being one of the smallest places there is, is one of the biggest centers of corruption. Anyone who is anyone meets in Malta. There is a group of persons. Some of them you know, right? Uh, Some of them you don't. Um, Like George Soros. But this place holds meetings that are even higher than the Bilderberg they're so secretive. We, we even have uh, jet setters and shipping families. Well, you know, the, um, the usual bloodlines like um, Henri de Castries, 
right? Uh, we have so many of them. Now, I want you guys to know um, that uh, the Castries um, had pushed for a more Americanized type Europe, right? And uh, that is um, something that, you know, the CIA, you do, wait, hold on a second. You do, you do know that the CIA was the one that funded the Bilderberg group, right? I just wanted to point that out because not a lot of people know that, that uh, Bilderberg group was actually founded or seeded uh, by the Central Intelligence Agency's money, so it's not some secret society, uh, and it's not like all mysterious. Um, it was started uh, back in 1954, um, and you're, it's invite only. You know, the one that uh, General Mattis attended in 2015, right? I just wanted to point that out. Now, it was created by the CIA in 54 to be able to diffuse and subdue uh, the old money in Europe's um, tendencies and older nations like China and Russia from hating America. They didn't want anti-Americanism, right? So they were bringing in influencers of America so they can sit at a round table and talk. Now, it's more so of finding a balance at these meetings, don't ask how I know, to find a balance on how um, cultures can meet each other in the middle. It's more of how do we make everyone vanilla voluntarily? Because their whole goal is to how to create a one unified government on the planet, not, you know. How can we, the leaders, the influencers, the money makers, the big guys, the guys that know best for everyone else, how do we know that, um, you know, uh, the, how, well, how can we change the perspective people have of what they really want to what we say is the right thing that they should want? Now, above that, there's a group that I refer to as they. And I'm going to tell you that they, they have a first port of entry to the they, they, they center, which was so weird that Pompeo's in Kazakhstan today, but so bizarre anyway. But um, it's in Malta. And most people uh, don't seem to know that. Uh, it is a very secretive place. Uh, this is a place that nobody really talks about, and I think I should. Uh, I thought I would mention it now before the break. Um, and this weekend, while you stay indoors with um, good food, family, video games, movies, uh, because maybe if you're in a bigger city, it might not turn out so good. Um, you know, uh, look into it. Look into how much you can't find about it. That's it. But, you know, we still have libraries and we still have books that haven't been pulled, especially in like the little, the little old libraries, right? But this is, um, this is important because this is where we have the Hashashashin uh, meet as well. I just want to say that the Hashashashin um, is a very old um, kind of um, 
group of people and they actually go to Malta and meet. So it's like, why would you have like vicious assassins meeting with, I don't know, like politicians, world leaders, I mean, people like Bill Gates or maybe even Chief Justice Supreme Court Roberts, you know, why would, you know, they be there, huh? You know, because for the most part, Laura Loomer was kind of right. And that is coming into perspective um, sooner rather than later, as you can see. And like I said, what is up is now down. What is left is now right. Right. Can we see that now? So that is just a little tidbit I thought I'd throw out there for you guys to understand just um, what is to be coming into perspective. Now, I want you to also uh, see something else. And um, think of this over the break. We are seeing that the mainstream media is very upset that President Trump told rioters um, that they are not going to be treated well in Tulsa. Agitators, looters, and lowlifes, and anarchists, and any protesters. Because we have to see the word protest, even though it's rioters. So, you know, they're coming out saying they're guaranteed the right to peacefully assemble. We all know they're not going to peacefully assemble, right? You all know that. Because it's a race-bait war. It is a war. A super war. And not only that, we're seeing on Twitter now, Venmo and Cash App are trending. Give me some money because I'm black. <laughs> I kid you not. 116,000 tweets. And they're like, hey, Cash App me money. I'm sending money. $200 to the first 900 people. Shows how much she had. And they're sending it out. This is what they do, guys. This is exactly what they do. They give you crumbs so you come back to them. That's what they do. So they're all giving away money, giving away money, cash app, black Twitter, checking Venmo and cash app. Are you kidding, guys? This is, this is what you, you sell yourself for, a couple dollars? Is that your dignity? <sighs> Man, this awakening is going to be so rude. I'll see you guys after the break. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So we left it off where I was telling you guys about a place that not a lot of people know about. And um, I think it's about time we also talk about some other things as well about this uh, globalist. It, globalism is like a siren call, right? A siren call. <laughs> That's the best way to describe it. It's like a siren calling out to you in, you know, the myth, the middle of the ocean. Come to me. Look at me. It's so good. But it's not. And I, I want to talk about that a little bit, um, even though right now I feel like mm, I'm at the other side of what's coming uh, for the next 48 hours. 
I've, um, I just say all we have to do is pray and uh, hope that things are deterred and um, pretty much nipped in the butt before they happen. Uh, but before we get uh, to what is to come and, and happen, I want us to talk about the two versions of law that we see that have manifested. And of course, I love Tucker Carlson. And since everyone is silencing him, you know, I want to give him love. There's always a purpose to what I do. You've been paying attention recently, and you probably have. You've likely sensed that something profound is happening to this country right now, something that could transform what America is. You can feel it happening. Our leaders deny it. Officials on both sides reassured us they're not planning wholesale changes to the country. They're just trying to fix specific problems. A man was brutalized by police officers in Minneapolis. Another man was shot to death in the parking lot of Wendy's. Those things were bad, they're telling us. And abuses like that are what they are fighting against. They say we need new laws, more good faith, more attention to injustice. And that sounds right to most Americans. Americans are decent people. They want to do the right thing. Certainly Republicans in Congress appear to believe all of this, or maybe they're just so scared they pretend they believe it. Either way, just yesterday, the GOP leadership enthusiastically backed a law enforcement reform bill. They're proud of that. They seem to think that reigning in the police will fix the underlying problems. And pretty soon we can all get back to living in 2014 again. Republicans appear to believe this is a policy debate. But Democrats know better than that. They don't lie to themselves. They understand there is a revolution in progress. The death of George Floyd may have sparked widespread outrage, sincere outrage, and they may share that outrage. But they also know that what is happening now has very little to do with George Floyd or people like him. Like all revolutions, the point is to destroy the current system and replace it with something new. But replace it with what? That's the question the rest of us should be asking right now. We should know what's coming. We know what we have now. Our current system has been in place for hundreds of years. It's based on a very simple idea. All people are created by God with equal moral value, period. Every one of them. For that reason, and that reason alone, all Americans are treated equally under the laws of the United States. In this country, we judge you for what you do, not how you were born. That idea has been the defining principle of America since the 18th century. It's the main reason we are the fairest society in the world. It's the reason people move here. To the extent America has failed to live up to that principle of equality, we are ashamed of it. We should be. Equality is the most important thing we have. We should defend it. We should practice it. Now, for the first time in our history, we're witnessing a broad and powerful attack on the principle of equality. Daily, we are told that all people are not, in fact, created equal. Some were born with moral stain. Others were not. Some Americans are guilty. Some are innocent. Nothing can change this because it was all determined at birth. All we can do is respond accordingly. People in favored groups must be held to one standard. Those in disfavored groups, the morally tainted ones, must be held to another standard. The country retains one set of laws, mostly for the sake of formality, but we must apply those laws in very different ways, according to the DNA and the background of the accused. If that sounds familiar, it's because this kind of system we just described, a system based on heredity and blood guilt, has been very common in history. It was the rule in feudal Europe, for example, and in the totalitarian regimes on that continent more recently. It's still in practice in parts of the world. In North Korea, children are sent to prison camps for the sins of their ancestors. And unfortunately, we have seen it here, too. 
You may have wondered how politicians could have justified practices as perverse as slavery and Jim Crow in a country with a constitution like ours. And the answer is simple, by arguing that not all people are created equal. Some had lesser moral value from birth. That's what they said. Those people carried the stain of sin with them. You were allowed to treat them differently based on who they were. At the time, many understood that this was a lie. Slavery persisted for hundreds of years, but there were always some in authority who considered it evil. Not evil simply because it was abusive, which of course it was, but because the existence of it violated the central principle of this country. And they were right. Where are those people now? Look around. Is anyone empowered defending absolute equality under the law? If there was ever a time to remind America that we all have equal value under God, that time is right now. But no, no one in charge is saying that. Our leaders are cowards when we need them to be brave. They are muddled when we need them to think clearly. It's possible they no longer even believe in equality. Forty years ago, this was a middle-class country, and as a result, America had strongly egalitarian values. Pretty much everyone used commercial airports and ate at McDonald's. Do you remember that? People talked without irony about their rights as citizens and taxpayers. You couldn't pay extra to jump to the head of the line at Disney World. The idea that someone like Jeffrey Epstein could beat a sex charge because he was rich would have shocked us then. We would have demanded an investigation into just how Jeffrey Epstein died. Why? Because Americans hated corruption. They saw corruption as an offense against equality. That was 40 years ago. Things have been moving in the opposite direction ever since. We now accept uncritically the claim that some people deserve better treatment based on how they were born, and some deserve worse. This is the most poisonous and the most destructive of all ideas. Other nations understand that. Rwanda has made it a crime to make ethnic appeals during elections to practice identity politics because they know very well where that leads. Yet identity politics is accelerating here. It shouldn't surprise you that most of the people pushing this poison are benefiting from it. They're using the recent chaos to codify dangerous trends already in progress, a permanently unequal society where some citizens are elevated and others are crushed. Winners and losers preordained by law. That's the country they're working toward. At the same time, and this is always the tell, they lecture you with maximum self-righteousness about how they're doing precisely the opposite of that. What they're really doing, they claim, is upholding equality under the law. No one is above the law. Nobody is above the law. No one is above the law. No one is above the law. No one's above the law. No one is above the law. That no person is above the law. Nobody should be above the law. Nobody should be above the law. No one is above the law. No one is above the law, they scold. Meaning... You aren't. You are not above their laws. You must obey those laws to the letter or you will face certain punishment. Others, meanwhile, get a pass or an entirely separate set of laws. Revolutionaries don't acknowledge universal standards. Increasingly, they admit this out loud. They're not pretending anymore. In California, Democrats are moving to repeal Proposition 209. 209 explicitly bans racial discrimination in hiring and education. In other words, Democrats in California are now fighting for discrimination. This is not considered strange in 2020. No one even mentions it. A couple of weeks ago, Governor Andy Bashir of Kentucky announced plans to bring universal health insurance to his state. But not for all citizens, just for people with the right skin color. 
Everyone else would pay, but only certain ethnic groups would benefit. Andy Bashir is still in office tonight. No one has tried to impeach him for suggesting this because ideas like this are everywhere now. They're totally unchallenged. This is the most divisive possible way to run a country. If you wanted to make certain that your children would hate each other, you would hold them to different standards, and they certainly would. There is a reason that racial tension is rising in this country. It's by design. But race is not the only dividing line. The coronavirus lockdowns have nothing to do with race, with white or black, thank God. They're probably the only thing in America right now that doesn't. Quarantines are instead scientific. They're purely a matter of public health. That's what they told us, and we believe them. We set passively as they destroyed our country's economy, as they indicted Americans for trying to make a living. And then the Black Lives Matter riots started, and we learned that it was all fake. The very same officials who threatened us with arrest for going outside urged their own voters to flood the streets. And they did, and no one was punished. How could this happen? It was such a flagrant double standard, not even hidden, right in your face. They didn't try to explain it. They didn't bother to justify it. Why? Anyone familiar with totalitarian regimes can tell you exactly why and what's going on. This is ritual humiliation. Forcing people to accept mistreatment is a time-tested way to subdue them. Of course we're not treating you fairly, they're telling us. You don't deserve fairness. You deserve what you get. That's the message. And after a while, the population accepts this. Some believe it. They blame themselves. That's the goal. But we should never accept it. The promise of absolute equality under the law is all we have. Laws are designed to protect the weak, not the strong. At the moment, the people leading this revolution against our system are strong. That's why they're trying to subvert our laws. If they succeed, there will be nothing to protect the rest of us in this country. We cannot let them do that. Let me give you a little fun fact. So uh, back in the day, you know, back when um, slavery was being abolished in 1861, the owner of the Clarister ship uh, that was the last slave ship that purchased slaves from Ghana, uh, where they were paying the tribal king or whatever, $100 per head, because, you know, their own people sold them. Let's put it this way. Uh, the, when the boat arrived to Alabama, it was it was known to be a racist ship. Uh, the owner of the ship actually had said it, he burned it. It wasn't any it wasn't there. Anyway, they were actually going to hold him accountable in 1864 and they were trying him. He was in court for um, perpetuating slavery in violation of the laws that had been put in place by Abraham Lincoln. And just so you know, so he can avoid trial and they let him go, right? Even though he had appealed and went to the court, convicted, you know, this guy was going to hang. Um, they let it go because there was a civil war. And this is one of many such cases that were being tried at the time. Do you see a similarity now? 200 years later, almost 200 years later, do you see the similarity? How many of them are undergoing investigations right now? What are they inciting? Ah, a civil war. What are they doing? Inciting. What are they doing? Dividing. What are they doing? Gaslighting. Why? Because they're all in trouble. And while they're in trouble... 
They gaslight to distract. They gaslight so that people can focus on a burning town, a burning city, and a collapsing state. And people killing each other. Because that's more important than taking little old me to prison for robbing the American people for using the taxpayer's pocket is my piggy bank. That is exactly what's happening. So this is not some different playbook. This is, uh, here we go again, round 140 maybe. Now, what we saw with the Supreme Court was horrific, right? It was horrible. I was just like, what's going on? But on the other hand, it gives more power to the pen of the president, but also indicates what we heard Pascal say in the first hour. He's putting out a list for more conservative Supreme Court judges because, you know, maybe in a second term, he'll get a few more. Like I said, by the end of his terms, he will have replaced every single Supreme Court justice except for one. You watch it's happening. Why release a list now? Who or how many of them are on their way out? Hmm. We're all paying attention now, right? This is what we need to focus on. And Hannity put it so well with um, uh, DHS, uh, DHS Secretary Wolf that the DACA program is indeed clearly unlawful. Out of the U.S. Supreme Court today by a five to four vote, the high court ruled against the Trump administration's efforts to end DACA, Obama's unilateral program that gave legal protections to immigrants brought to the country illegally as children. And just like in the case of Obamacare, it was Chief Justice John Roberts joining the four liberals on the court to make a highly technical, ridiculous to me, argument that benefited the Obama administration. Now, even Barack Obama himself recognized he can't do this by executive fiat, but he did it anyway. Before rolling out DACA in 2012, Obama said he needed an act of Congress to help the so-called dreamers. Watch it. Watch this clip of him addressing immigration activists in 2011. Now, I know some people want me to bypass Congress and change the laws on my own. The idea of, of doing things on my own is very tempting. <laughs> It, 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 I, I promise you, not, 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 just, not just on immigration reform. <laughs> but that's not, how, that's not how our system works. That's, that's, that's not how our democracy functions. Democratic Republic here with reaction, acting DHS Secretary Chad Wolf. Chad, he's admitting he didn't have the power to do it. He did it anyway. Uh, John Roberts did this with health care. Uh, maybe he wants to, a different job title in his life because it's certainly not following the law by any reasonable expectation, any reasonable analysis that I see. Well, Sean, what I can tell you is that the uh, DACA program is clearly unlawful. And even the Supreme Court today, in their opinion, said that the Department of Homeland Security has the authority to rescind it. Uh, they simply didn't like the way. Uh, that we were doing it. And I think that's troubling to me because what we saw under the Obama administration, what you, a clip that you just played, is they made this program out of thin air, did it on a turn of a dime. Uh, this administration has thought long about this, thoughtful about this, decided to wind this unlawful program down over a series of six months. Uh, and again, what we have is uh, a Supreme Court saying that's not good enough. You need to go back at it. You need to relook at that. Uh, and that's very troubling to me. 
Yeah. Well, and it, and he himself admitted Obama that he couldn't do it, but then he did it anyway. So is it was it constitutional? Because I don't believe it was. That's absolutely right. So we have one administration making a program. We have a second administration, another administration taking a look at how do we wind down an unlawful program. What the other, what the Obama administration did is uh, create a new law, a new visa uh, or a new uh, program, a deferred action program out of thin air. Uh, Congress is the right role to do this. We have been begging Congress. Uh, to address the DACA recipients. Uh, they have decided not to do this time and time again. The president has been clear on this. He wants a legal solution and not a political solution to this issue. Uh, very right. disappointed in the decision today, uh, but we'll keep at it. And unfortunately, while we're going to keep at it, any DACA, any illegal migrant applying, USCIS is taking all their applications and they will be uh, entertained. Uh, this is where we're at, guys. We're at the point where, you know, uh, they're constantly pushing the envelope to see how far it will go. And, you know, that's a tactic that the corrupt uh, organizations always have. But, you know, DACA is going to come to an end. I mean, at the end of the day, because uh, the Democrats have pushed this, DACA, you know, they pushed DACA first and it took a big, you know, big, you know, reverse motion, right? Uh, they threatened shutdowns because of DACA and everything. So now they've got this DACA thing covered. But, you know, uh, the decision from the Supreme Court actually indicates that our president may indeed have the power to strike it down with a pen a lot faster than others may think. Now, I want to tell you um, that there was a strange interview that happened with uh, Representative Gates introducing his son, but not his son, Nestor, uh, on Tucker Carlson's show last night. I want to play it, then we'll go to break because I want us to think about it, and then we'll talk about it just a little bit, okay? Take a listen. The Cultural Revolution now in progress is making a dangerous term. It's actually been here for quite some time. You're watching elected leaders say you are not allowed to participate in our system if you're the wrong color. During a recent argument on the House floor, Democratic Congressman Cedric Richmond of Louisiana argued that some people just shouldn't be in the debate because they're the wrong skin color or their children are. Richmond's claims start off with a fight with Florida Congressman Matt Gates. You all are white males, you never lived in my shoes, and you do not know what it's like to be an African-American male. Are you suggesting that you're certain that none of us have non-white children? Be because you, you reflected on your black son and you said none of us could understand. Man, man, stop. I'm not about to get sidetracked about the color of our children. We're talking no, about black kids. I reclaim my time. It is not about the color of your kids. It is about black males, black people in the streets How that are getting killed. And if one of them happens to be your kid, I'm concerned about him, too. And clearly I'm more concerned about him than you are. So let's be clear you're, about you're that. Claiming, so you're claiming you're I more am, concerned for my family than I do? Who in the hell do the you, you are? Gentlemen, if the, the shoe fits. Listen, you don't know how much we care about will families. Kick dog you should take those words down. The I gentleman care will about your family and love your family. The gentleman we, will suspend. It. The gentleman will suspend. The time belongs to the gentleman from Louisiana. Cedric, would you yield? Was, was that a nerve? Yeah, uh, you did. I yield right to the gentleman from Louisiana. When you attack people on the basis of their race and their children, you get exchanges like that. It's disgusting. Of course, Cedric Richmond will never be disciplined for it. 
Afterward, Matt Gates issued this statement on Twitter. For all those wondering, this is my son, Nestor. We share no blood, but he is my life. He came from Cuba legally, of course, six years ago and lives with me in Florida. Congressman Matt Gates joins us tonight. Congressman, thanks so much for coming on. So what, Cedric Richmond, who, by the way, went to Tulane Law School and brags about his Harvard degree, Mr. Oppressed character here, was telling you that you're not allowed to participate in the conversation because of your skin color? I believe everyone should be able to participate if they're black, white, or otherwise. And it's certainly offensive to have someone tell you that, you know, you don't know what a certain experience is like when they know nothing about you. Nestor is the light of my life. I couldn't imagine him loving, loving him any more if he was my own flesh and blood. I've raised him for the last six years, uh, and he is just the most remarkable young man. I am proud of him, and I am... I'm honestly embarrassed for the United States Congress that we've resorted to criticizing each other based on um, our race and the race of our children. And I I wish that we would be more productive going forward. So did any Republicans on your side of the aisle stand up and make that point? I mean, it it seems like a pretty basic threshold that we're not going to attack people for things they can't control, like their skin color. Did anyone else join in your defense? Well, there were some Republicans who, uh, you know, pointed out that we shouldn't be treating anybody differently as a consequence of their race. I just got to say, though, he's he's a remarkable young man. Uh, I am proud of him. And I've raised Nestor to believe that in our family, we treat everyone equally. It doesn't matter what their background is, what their race is. We treat every American with respect. Does he learn that at school as well, do you think? I mean, do you think the culture in which he's growing up reinforces that obvious and most American of all messages? Well, why don't you ask him, Tucker? Uh, he's, uh, he's, I think, piped in from the studio in Florida. Nestor, thanks for joining us. Um, what do you make of Cedric Richmond's attack today? Did you see all this? Um, I did not see it because uh, I was uh, sleeping from a workout from the night before. But yes, once I woke up, I, uh, I woke up to seeing all these tweets and I was like, what's going on? And Mike gave me a call t- telling me about it. And then I saw it. And I think it's kind of unfair to, uh, you know, not, uh, to, not, to tell someone that they don't understand because they don't have, like, uh, because of their racial color. While, like, um, he's fighting for equality, but if you tell someone to not, not get involved that he doesn't understand because of his color, you're kind of being a hypocrite there. Yes, I think that's very nicely put. Um, Matt, I mean, Congressman Gates, saying I something just, like this out loud seems like the kind of thing that, you know, in normal times you'd be censured for. I cannot believe that it's acceptable in the United States Congress for someone to tell someone else that they're fighting for their children more than they are. Tucker, you have a son. How would you feel if someone said to you that uh, they you know, were fighting for your own family more than you were? So that's why I got very upset. Uh, but, you know, for the for the sake of Nestor and my story, we're a proud, happy family. We love each other very much. And uh, Nestor's on his way off to college in the fall. And I just couldn't be happier and prouder of the young man he's become. And the fact that he is embracing these American values that everyone should be treated fairly and equally. That's exactly right. I tell my kids, you're not responsible for who your relatives are. In their case, thank heaven. You're responsible for what you do and the choices that you make. That's 
Exactly. So in America, we actually have something called a choice. And casties don't really count. Well, let's be fair. Mm, we do have areas within the United States that are enforcing casties. But you know where those areas are? Democrat-controlled areas. That's where you see casties. That's where you see people being dealt weaker hands. And that is what the president is trying to remedy. And he started with school choice because education is key to everything for our youth. I'll see you guys after the break. Well, well, well. So this is the last half hour. We're going to talk some real truth. We're going to talk about how the Democrats are trying to control the black American population. We're going to talk about this because, you know, I always look through to look back. And I can tell you that in 2016 and 2017 and 2018, the CIA dumped a lot of money into the mainstream media. While the Mueller investigation was going all the way up in 2019, we had so much funding heading out to the mainstream media because they need to hold on to that grip. Oops, what's going on now? Hey, hell, I pay the price. All I want is to be 
okay because God's watching and the world is watching. And what the world is seeing is that the Democrats are the ones that formed the Confederate States, are the ones that were and are the party of slavery. Look at them. Look at them pushing a narrative. Look at them. Look at them. But they've lost their slave grip. Oh, it's coming. They've lost their central voters. Oh, it's coming. And as these mainstream media push, 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 sunrise movement, push, push, push. This is huge. And we just have to say, hey, George, what's up? Because now it's going to come down. Everything will be coming down. Everything. Everything, everything. Think. Think about it. Slaves are always sheep and they are always distracted. All of them. Now I want you guys to understand what that really means. Think we have Facebook, we have Amazon, we have Google, we have Twitter, all of them making sure that they are watching and listening what information you share, what information you access, and they're collecting everything. Why? Why? They're getting a lot of kickback. Who is asking for this information? Who wants this information? Why are they watching you? Ask yourself, why are they watching you? Who's watching you and why? Think. This is how it is. This is the reality that no one is paying attention to. Intelligence agencies, as I've said before, have all merged globally. They're centralized. They're centralized. Okay. We have a huge problem. I mean, how do you know what agency you can trust? How do you know who you can trust? Imagine if we don't know, how does the president know? Because they're so organized. They're so hidden in plain sight. And so you have to see just how this is weighing in into the way the elections are being pushed. I've said that before. We have to show strength. We have to shed light in those dark corners. So what you have to think is how do we do that? How do we show it? <laughs> they have money. They have control over us and power, right? Because we're simply pawns in their greater scheme. We're spectators of our own movie and sheep and slaves. But no. See, they've actually created and they have planned events just like coronavirus to eradicate a bunch of us. Kind of like a mass extinction. Like I said, if Hillary Clinton was president, I would have been gone in a gulag. They rig our elections to choke our voice. Because to them, your voice has no merit, does not count, and they don't even want to hear it. Think of everything that they are pushing. Think of everything you know, what was funny is that the Rothschild today, David Rothschild had put out a tweet. Who's worse, Trump or Bolton? 
it will come through because as today, uh, you know, we've been talking about history, the 13th Amendment, 100 percent Republican, 14th, 100 percent Republican, 15th, 100 percent Republican. Who is the party of the slaves? The Democrats. They have never been this angry since we took their slaves. They have never been this angry. And you know what they're doing? Exactly what they did when they got off from being hung in public squares for buying and trading slaves. Projection. Causing chaos. They want you divided. They want you dependent on them. (laughs) Tell me, what has any party done (laughs) for our black Americans? Absolutely nothing. What has the Trump party done? A lot. Number one is the first step back for those that have been imprisoned and given some crazy sentences because, you know, they need people to make license plates. They need to perpetuate criminality. He's also put in for school choice. No more that if you have, you know, you had bad luck. I get it. All of us have where you're stuck in a rut by yourself with children and you're just like, oh my gosh, what do I do? You live in, in the worst neighborhood. Your child can only have access to the worst school. They have to go through three different zones of gangs to get to school. And possibly the only meal they'll have is in school. And your choice is the worst one of all because that's where you live. Well, President Trump said no more. You should have the choice to put your child wherever. So why is it that we constantly have, you know, the Democrats pandering to the to to the black Americans? Can they not see it? Can they not see that they don't care about them at all unless it's for their vote? Oh, we're going to remove the Confederate pictures. Just like President Trump said, well, George Washington had slaves because everybody did. And slaves is not so much I whip you to work. They were being fed and given housing and some of them even money to work. They were just low wage, you know, people, you know, working. Honestly, that's the way it is. And do we not have that now? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. With illegal migrants and migrants in general. Why do you think Facebook Uh, The majority of the people they want is H-1B visa. They pay them less. (laughs) They pay them less and they get tax cuts under whatever the state tells them. Well, if you bring migrants, you get tax cuts. Like I've said before, it costs more for a laboratory to employ a U.S. citizen as a nurse than it does bringing one in from the Philippines as a traveling one, right? Right. That person that's traveling is getting paid 70000 a year, but the company, laboratory, or hospital hiring them gets 150000 in relief for bringing in migrants. You get it? You get it? This is how they hold on to the slave grip of the black population and all those that fall beneath it. This is why you see that they are lumping in LGBTQ, um, Hispanic, other minorities, all under the one group of what? Black Lives Matter. Can you see it? How did the Black Lives Matter turn into LGBT rights? How did Black Lives Matter turn into DACA? Can you not see that? It's time for all Americans, because patriots do not see color. They have no color. They just simply are, to come together. 
I mean, when you're able to see clearly and speak clearly and tell me you can see the corruption, you can see the evil, your hair on your hands right now, standing up, just thinking about just how evil they are. Picture them. Picture Pelosi sitting there. Oh my gosh. Can we get them to like, just kill each other, please? So that way nobody pays attention to this. This is where we need to learn the truth and the facts of the actual history, not the history that they rewrote, not the one that they're crazy public school teachers, man, some public school teachers should be fired for even pushing the notion that Democrats have anything to do with free dumb period. They don't. This is how you wake up. They are losing control. They have been losing control for four years. Here comes the push. I mean, look, Google doodles, right? Huh? For almost 10 years, no mention of Juneteenth, but they do this year because the BLM thing fell, right? Short, got caught, people getting arrested. Yeah, that one. So now they're pushing that. Who are the real fascists, you guys? Who are the ones waving a flag that is equatable to that of the Nazis? Who are the real racists? That is what we are seeing now. We can see it. (laughs) They're losing their slave grip hold, and they are so upset beyond belief. They are so upset, so upset, and I make them okay. Okay, you should. You should. And this is a song dedicated to all those that are thinking of exiting the Democratic Party. Darling, you got to let me know. Should I stay or should I go? If you say that you are mine I'll be here till the end of time So you got to let me know Should I stay or should I go It's always taste, taste, taste You're happy when I'm on my knees One day is fine and next is black so if you want me off your back Well come on and let me know Should I stay or should I go? Should I stay or should I go now? Should I stay or should I go now? If I go there will be trouble
should I stay or should I go now? Should I stay or should I go now? If I go, there will be trouble. And if I stay, it will be double. So you gotta let me know. Should I cool it or should I blow? Should I stay or should I go now? If I go, there will be trouble. And if I stay, it will be double. So you gotta let me know. Should I stay or should I go? Yep. You should definitely go. We need to get rid of the Democrat Party and their ideology. I'm more than fine with multiple representation, tons of parties, not a one, not a two-party system. They give you the illusion that it's a two-party system. It's always been a one-party system because neither the Republicans lately nor the Democrats have ever done anything. And the Republicans have shifted to Democrats after the 19... Uh, what is it? After 1969, I would say the Republicans were very similar to um, the Democrats. It's been a one party system for a while. So it's time to gain our republic back. This is not your simple four year election. This is the election that is their new civil war. They broke out in war. They increased the division when they were all going to hang all of them. All of them. And, you know, they never were tried. Never were tried. Because why? Because there was a war. More important things to focus on than trying to get us, right? That's exactly what they said. And that's exactly what they did. Well, this time we're not going to let that happen, are we? This time we're going to hold them accountable. And unfortunately, many of us have looking glasses that can see beautiful things and can see exactly who, what, when, and where very well. So here we are. Um, there was a the announcement by the press secretary speaking. She's live now. I'm going to play the tail end of it. Here we go. Um, let me start it. It's been live for a while. Here we go. Let's go. There we go. That he believes that the uh, immigrants who were brought here as children and no fault of their own should be taken care of. So first, one note on DACA. One thing I would say about yesterday's ruling um, is that really um, this was a situation where you had all of the justices saying that President Trump was essentially right on the law on DACA. You had the majority and the majority opinion, quote, the dispute before the court is not whether DHS may rescind DACA. All parties agree that it may be rescinded. The dispute is instead primarily about the procedure the agency followed in doing so. So in other words, um, President Trump was right on the law here. Uh, it was unlawful the way President Obama went about this. But as for the way forward, um, I just was in and, and was speaking with the president um, and the chief of staff about this. And we're looking at documents currently. Um, and we're going to move forward in a responsible way um, and cure some of the remedies and the unlawfulness that we see with the previous memo that brought DACA into place. But we want to find a compassionate way to do this. So that's the notes I have as to how we'll be moving forward. Kristen. Uh, thank you, Kaylee. Now that we're about 24 hours away from this rally tomorrow in Tulsa, you have the World Health Organization director saying that the world is in a, a new and dangerous phase in terms of COVID cases. You have cases rising in Oklahoma. You have the Tulsa mayor declaring a civil emergency. 
Given all of this together, are there any discussions, any reservations within the West Wing about going forward with this indoor rally tomorrow in a state where COVID cases are on the rise? Well, first, let me note about the civil emergency. Um, Bynum declared a civil emergency after law enforcement informed the mayor about the individuals from the organized groups um, that I just noted who are intent on uh, engaging in destruction. But with regard to Oklahoma, I would refer you to Governor Stitt's comments. He said yesterday we went to phase three on June 1st, so we're 56 days into our reopening plan, and currently we have under 200 people in the hospital across Oklahoma, and he welcomed the president um, and his supporters for coming. I guess, I guess my question is, behind the scenes, are there any White House officials, uh, you know, just expressing a bit of reservation about going forward 24 hours out? So we are all on board with going to Oklahoma. We're taking appropriate measures like hand sanitizing and temperature checks and masks being provided at the door. Um, but I'd also note to you from the governor of Oklahoma uh, that he says that most of the cases he's seeing are in the 18 to 35 group where they're seeing a slight increase um, and they are... Uh, asymptomatic individuals, a lot of what they're seeing. And in addition to that, I would also just note um, that he said that this slight increase was expected as they began to safely reopen 56 days prior. Um, Jen, yes. So hopefully, I'll limit you to 20 questions today. How about that? Thanks, Kaylee. Um, will any White House officials be at the rally tomorrow? Um, there will be several White House officials at the rally tomorrow. Will those officials, or will you be there, uh, for example? I will be there. Will you and other White House officials be wearing masks at the rally? It's a personal choice. I won't be wearing a mask. Um, I can't speak for my colleagues. And why won't you wear a mask? Is it sort of a personal political statement? Is it because the president would be disappointed in you if you don't wear a mask? It's a personal. It? It's a personal decision. I'm tested regularly. I feel that it's safe for me not to be wearing a mask, and I'm in compliance with CDC guidelines, which are recommended but not required. And if I can ask you about uh, last night, the president uh, tweeted out some fake videos, uh, one of which was labeled uh, "manipulated media" uh, by. <laughs> I was waiting for this. Twitter. Uh, why is the president sharing fake videos on Twitter about two toddlers? Uh, who are obviously showing a lot of love for one another. It, it seems as though he's exploiting children to make some sort of crass political point. Uh, no. Why is he sharing fake videos? He was making a point uh, about CNN specifically. He was making a point uh, that CNN has regularly taken him out of context, um, that in 2019, CNN misleadingly aired a clip from one viewpoint repeatedly to falsely accuse the Covington boys of being, quote, students in MAGA gear harassing a Native American elder. Um, that's a harassing video, a misleading video about children that had really grave consequences for their future. So, to, so you're saying it's okay to exploit two toddlers hugging one another on a sidewalk to make some sort of political point. Uh, you, I mean, as you know, the president has described uh, members of the press as fake news uh, during the course of this administration. When you share fake videos like that, doesn't that make you fake news? I think the president was making a satirical point that was quite funny. If you go and actually watch the video, um, I think he was making a he was making a satir. The the point is, uh, it was a play on CNN repeatedly taking the president out of context. Like the time when you guys had a a Chiron that read Trump slammed some illegal immigrants. They're animals. Well, guess what? The people he called animals were MS-13 illegal immigrants who regularly mutilate people in this well, country. Those things are entirely misleading. You don't mind pointing out the president Not has referred to some Mexican immigrants as rapists. He has tried to pass a Muslim ban in this country. He has described uh, uh, 
black NFL that's, players of sons of bitches if they take a knee that's during an a football absurd game. To, uh, uh, that's an absurd uh, attempt to justify the misleading headlines that are regularly on your network. Like I was just walking in watching CNN as they lauded the, the, quote, the rallies in the streets. Are you, you, are you saying that the president got to let me finish, this Jim. Work? This isn't a cable news segment. I'm answering your question right okay. now from the White House podium. Well, you're, you're when I walk out of here, when I when I walk out here, Jim, when I walk out here, Jim, and I see on your when I see on your network celebratory headlines about the rallies and the protests outside, and you actually said protests and rallies. So in light of a protest, if these gatherings happen in light of a protest or a rally, as you say, that rally is to be condoned, but not the president's rally. I mean, it's appalling. You have one person on your network saying that this is a celebration in the streets, a carnival-like atmosphere. There's a guy with a sign that says free hugs. Um, it's beautiful yeah, what's happening in the streets. The there is music. People the- are hugging. You celebrate hugging in the context of a protest, but in a Trump rally where we celebrate historic low African-American unemployment, criminal justice reform, HB that rally is not allowed because guess what, Jim? It doesn't fit the ideological agenda of CNN. Yep. Oh, there we go. And I'm going to tell you something quickly before before it goes and expires here on time. Uh, CNN and the DNC are now seeking the parents of those toddlers so they can sue and even press charges against the president for criminal abuse of children. And the question is, why is the FBI in Atlanta helping them? God bless everyone. Stay safe this weekend. See you on Monday. Same time, same place. Bye.